Please take a moment to turn off your cell phones while I introduce Rachel, and then we'll get started. Our topic for today um, is forbidden games, all about censorship. As you know, we choose topics that are just blah, that anybody does, that is not challenging. I assume this will follow suit, right? Rachel Korazim is a powerful speaker and a freelance Jewish education consultant specializing in curriculum development for Israel and Holocaust education. She's involved with Jewish education worldwide, creating and implementing in-service training programs for educators, writing educational materials, counseling, and teaching. As one of the founders and directors of a special program for Israeli soldiers from disadvantaged backgrounds, she was responsible for creating the educational framework and training teachers for the implementation of the program. Born in Israel, she served in the IDF as an officer, which, which um, she continues to use her training in effect with me in very stern requirements for her programs, and as some of you as well know, um, uh, in the central training base for women, and was later a member of the IDF delegation to Niger, West Africa. She's a graduate of Haifa University with a PhD in Jewish education. I have tried for years to get Rachel to come as a one-month scholar, but uh, given her, her uh, obligations, she can't come for a month. So my secret strategy has been to bring her every year for three days for 10 years, and then <laughs> we will get there that way. Please join me in welcoming back Rachel Korazim. Thank you, Ari. So really, without further ado, because we just have the hour, right? This is what this program is called for. Yeah, about an hour. So uh, one of the things I do in Jewish education, well, the thing I like to do in Jewish education is teach about Israel or teach about the Holocaust. We are not going to do Holocaust today. We're going to do Israel. But in my particular way of addressing Israel education, I like to go to that niche that many of you have experienced already with me, and that is to look at Israeli society through its own literature. Or as I often say in my very not political correct way, do not just talk about Israel. Let Israel talk to you. Sit back and listen to the intimate Israeli discourse, the kind of stuff that we say to each other through our literature, through our poetry, even when you guys are not listening. And throughout the years, because I have been at this for over 30 years now, I have developed a large number of sessions. Sometimes, many times, I pride myself about being the initiator of my sessions. But oftentimes, I have to respond to requests. And one of the sources where I do not hesitate to respond to requests is a place called the Shalom Hartman Institute in Israel. I don't know if you have heard about it. It's in Jerusalem. There are seats here. And my familiar way of calling that place is that it is Rabbi's summer camp. It's where rabbis go to train every summer and sometimes even they go throughout the year. These would be reform, conservative, reconstructionist, sometimes very modern, modern Orthodox, but not much more to the right than that in the Orthodox uh, world. And I get to teach there. And these are people who keep repeating so you cannot use your old stuff. You have to come up with new topics every year. And every year, the Shalom Hartman Institute comes up with a general theme, and we speakers have to fall 
into line. And that particular year, last year when this was invented, the theme was looking at different voices and different sources of being who we are. So I had something for my keynote. I'm not talking to you about that because we are not do going, doing it. And then I have electives. Now, the keynote is supposed to be like the COVID because this is when you get to speak to an audience of about 150 to 180 rabbis. Have you tried that ever? <laughs> have you tried that ever? It's a very interesting experience. The elective, and they have all to take it, you know, because in general, the keynote. The elective, it's about the Michiganers, the, one who, the ones who really like to study with me. And they're about 25, 30, and they also repeat every year, and they have growing and growing expectations because they have studied, we have studied together for many years. So for the electives last summer, of how to be who we are, and I, unlike all those other Hartman speakers, they go to the classical sources. I do modern literature. So I came up with the following. The first one was, how do we learn through Israeli song and poetry? First, Rachel Korazim cliche. Do you know, you know, I told you already, that the Hebrew language does not distinguish between the word poem and the word song. They're both the same Hebrew word, shir, okay? So how do we know through Israeli song and poem how to be an Israeli? So that will be the session I will be addressing Sunday morning. The second one on that series, there are always three electives. I was wondering, and I being, do you know the word dafka? Like in spite of and whatever. So I'm a dafka person. And I figured, all right, there is in the Israeli literature, songs and poems alike, lots of things that tell you how to be. Are they things that are telling you what not to be? So I started looking, and this became extremely rich for me. When through the history of the state of Israel were either poems or songs censored? When was it that the power that be have decided that this particular piece of literature is not acceptable? It shouldn't be aired on the radio. It shouldn't be on the theater. We shouldn't read it. So before I ask, excuse me, sir, I forgot your name. Grendel. Grendel. Before I ask Grendel to go, I'm going to ask you, just for a moment, imagine that we are back in school. If you're thinking about censorship, and there were times where you had censorship in America, and people who come from other countries may be even more experienced in censorship than Americans. And there are some in this room, I know that personally. Think Israel, think about the powers that be, the way the country goes, what would be the areas in which the Israeli powers that be, it could be government, could be the army, could be political leadership, what would they want to censor? What arenas of life 
would they be looking at and say, hey, here, this limit, this you can say, this you cannot say? What areas of life? Yes, ma'am. Can you hear yourself? You are already justifying censorship. <laughs> I don't know that I go with you. Yeah, what she said was that for security, of course, because they need to survive. So the lady not only is telling us the field, but she's already supporting it. So I'm not sure that I will support it. But yes, it's there. So security would be one thing. If you went ahead, and wanted to tell top secrets or whatever, God forbid, they would be censored. What is that other thing? Rachel, the rest of it is really, really soupy. Security, you understand. Morality, politics... No, 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 go one by one, don't rush. Oh. What would be a moral issue that the powers that be in Israel would want to censor? Yes. Of a leader? If some secrets came out? Reputation of a leader. So if a secret came out about Bibi misbehaving and somebody wrote a lyric about it, that would be censored, you think? No, self? The whole people of Israel? Aha, uh -huh. if somebody criticized Jews in general, in Israel, that would be censored. Interesting, you almost hit it. You're doing well, even better than this other lady. Okay, one more, one more. How about politics? Yeah. Yeah, we covered that in security. Yeah, we covered that, the military. Okay, how about politics? What would be forbidden? Yeah. Human rights discussions. Are you courageous enough to go a step further? If somebody said, God forbid, that Palestinians deserve human rights, that would be censored. Is that what you're saying? Well, this is what the poem is saying. So you hit it. Don't be afraid. You hit it. Exactly. Bingo. Okay, let's go one more. Hmm? I cannot see from here. I need to move. Hang on. Okay, politics, reputation, shame. And so something is put to shame. And the question mark, truth is that there is one last song there that was censored. And I have worked on this session for many, many hours of research. And I've asked many, many people. And I have no idea why it was censored. And neither was anybody of the experts that I've consulted. I'm not sure that we will get to it. It's the very last one, but we may. Yes, ma'am. So work with me. The non-Ashkenazi, you are being so American and so politically correct. You mean the Sephardi? Yeah, called it by name. Okay, they have a name. Yeah. So how would that be censored if you did what? You think we are that bad? You think we are that bad that if somebody treated Mizrahim or Ethiopians equally, that would be censored? 
What do you mean quarters? Government, radio, television. They wouldn't ask, want anybody to know that Mizrahim were being ill-treated, and therefore, if somebody did that, that would be censored. You know how impressed I am with you? As much as to go and shake your hand. when Yemenite women had been ill-treated by Ashkenazi farmers who were their employers. And he wrote an amazingly heartbreaking, painful song about it, and it was censored. We will come to that. Nobody ever guessed that in any of my session. So I'm very, very grateful to you, ma'am, for having guessed that. Yes. In every single poem, I will tell you who censored, what was the act, how it was done. It's very different for each song. Did, did, did work? Yeah. Yeah. And with the first one, was there was practically, if not a law, a directive, a government directive to the broadcasting corporation not to air a given song. Can you click the PowerPoint? I'm sorry that I'm making you run back and forth. It's a hard day today. Okay. So the first one is security. And we are looking at what? Just leave it there. What are we looking at? Petra. Petra. How? Petra is in Jordan. We will soon want the song The Red Rock. Okay? So after they have seen it, you can start looking for it and be ready. So Petra is an archaeological site. The Red Rock is referred to. Actually, to this day, they don't know exactly who were the people who created it, because it wasn't really lived in. It was used for some sort of rituals in a red rock back in Jordan. It's amazingly beautiful, and we have an amazing song about it called The Red Rock, Hasela Ha'adom, sung by Arik Lavi. And I'm asking you, you can even look at it, it's on your page too. Why would a song about the red rock be censored? Like, what's so bad about saying that our neighboring country, albeit even in the early years before we had a peace agreement with Jordan, because we are going back to the 50s in Israel, why would they censor a song about Petra? Yes, sir. Because a lot of young Israelis wanting to see it for themselves to try to sneak across the border at night, the Jordanian army was waiting for them to kill them. With snipers in the valleys. Bingo. So when I put on the topic of security, and you were all thinking military and secrets, it wasn't that. It was personal security. 
It was stopping young Israeli men and women. We know of at least one, they could have been more because some of them managed to do it and were never caught and came back alive and kept this secret, okay? It was totally forbidden. So Jordan is across the border. You can see the map there. And I want you to visualize, some of you know Israel a little bit. So you know that there is a very, not for Californians, for Israelis, a long way going all the way from Beersheba down to Eilat. You know about that? It's flat, it's boring, whatever, and all you want to do is get to Eilat as fast as you can. About halfway down of that valley, the Arava, that plain, Actually, it's called the 101 kilometer, a kilometer There is now a gas station there with a nice coffee and refreshment stop. But it came to be because there used to be a sign there, first a secret one with just stones that the kids would know. That was the place to stop the car that gave you the hike because they hitchhiked their way down. Because that was the nearest place in Israel. If you waited till night, you could enter a valley, a vadi in Arabic, that would take you all the way across the border and to the Red Rock. As the gentleman had said, you would do that at night, and you will try to be by dawn at the Red Rock, they had dress and whatever gear to mingle with other tourists. And then if you were lucky enough and not caught and not shot on the way, then you will find your way the next night back to Israel. You wouldn't have Jordanian money. You have to carry all your food with you. It couldn't have any Israeli wrappings or any sign that showed who you were. But the kids did it. The 19, 20, 20, they did. And the beauty of that was actually sung. And it encouraged more people to do it. So at a certain point, who was the gentleman who asked me about law or instruction? So it wasn't a law passed by the Knesset. But there was a government directive to the radio to stop airing that song by Eric Levy, who is a very beloved singer, long dead now. So Eric Levy, let's listen for a few bars of that. If you know the song, and Israelis in the room who can sing it? All right, so we will, because I can, obviously. I belong to that age group. So can you do the Red Rock? You can follow the Hebrew or English, whichever works on page two. שאיש ממנו חי עוד לא חזר, והוא נקרא הסלע האדום. Oh, הסלע האדום. Here the longing סלע אדום, red rock. שלושה צריכים לדרך עם שקיעה, מנגד mountains. Adom, Adom, and the night and red, 
But what his eyes had seen I think that will do for our music and we can go back to the presentation and the text. It's enough to move the music and we can go back to the text and the presentation. As, as we stop the music, I'd like to draw your attention back to the text. And I'd like for you to pay attention at the not so subtle, really enticing remarks, tempting in that song that are perceived as dangerous. So first of all, you start the story in the classical legendary way. Across the mountains and the desert, legends say there is a place no one came back alive from, and it is called the Red Rock. So from the first stanza, they're not hiding the risk. But if you're 19 or 20, is it really threatening? Or is it at least as equally challenging and enticing and adventurous? They didn't come back. I will. Okay? Three had left at sunset because you tried to arrive to that spot, first marked just by stones for them to know. Nowadays, if you drive to a light, coffee shop, gas, whatever. Okay? had left at sunset, the Edom mountains were burning up front. Now, this is something that is totally lost in translation. Jordan, the kingdom across river Jordan, is in biblical terms the Edomite. That people does not exist anymore. So Edom in Hebrew, that's the name of that nation. And the color red in Hebrew, Adam, very similar, written the same. So they are playing on the Hebrew, as you can see. And the Adam mountains were burning with the fire of the sunset. They were red on your way. So really it's the whole language of these things being connected, the name and the mountain and the sunset and everything combines. An old dream, a map and a water canteen. They didn't carry a lot because it was a long hike and anything you carried could have been a giveaway of who you are. So very little. They took a long, it took a long to the red rock. Oh, the red rock, red. First went the tracker, lifting his face, looking at the stars above, but what his eyes had seen was the vision of the red rock. We're not sure that they are there already, or they're just visioning what it will look like. They rested in the valley. The Hebrew, of course, will have the Arabic word vadi. They rested in the valley among stones. One said, as if a dream struck, I see her face in white, his friends answered, the red rock. So already we are having hallucinations and delusions. The danger, the hunger, tiredness, maybe even not enough water, you know, everything combined. 
The sun above hit their heads. They didn't make it during the night. So they had to continue to go. It was a long hike. It was not planned well enough, maybe. Breathing desert dust and heat. Suddenly their blood froze. They saw the red rock. Ah! They did it. Hallelujah. Okay. And as soon as they have done that, just as the gentleman told you, Jordanian snipers were waiting for those young people. The bullet salvo was short. One moment I was hit and stopped. His friends, their mouth full of dirt, said, we made it to the Red Rock. Thank you very much. Across the mountains and the desert, legends say there is a place no one yet came alive, back alive from, and it is called the Red Rock. Oh, the Red Rock. So just as a question, if you are the most democratic person in the world and against censorship, if you live in Israel in those times and you hear about the fact that it was censored, what would be your reaction, your letter to the editor? Would you support or object? Because normally we are people who are against censorship, right? Knowing my wife's Israeli cousin, Eitan, he'd be the first one to go if he heard the song. I would say we better censor it and keep Eitan safe. Okay. <laughs> he's been there probably. Yeah. So, yes. I, well, how old is Eitan now? Oh, now he's already 60 something. Okay. And now he can go with a visa. Yeah. You know? I had, <laughs> I'm in a second marriage, so my husband's son, our daughter in law, and the three granddaughters we had just came back last week. They went to Petra with a hired car and a tour guide and the visas and the passport. And of course, it's a totally different experience because as since uh, 1994, uh, the Rabin King Hussein agreement just before Rabin was assassinated uh, allows us to go to Petra with no problem whatsoever. But for the young state of Israel, I need for you to think a little bit how crazy young people can be like your eight hands. I mean, seriously? They just came out of the War of Independence, where we lost 6,000 lives out of 600,000 living Jews in the country at that time. That was not enough. We were barely 10 years after the Holocaust. Did I remind you how many we were losing there? And now they have to do this mishigas. Like, how do you react when that happens in your society? Do you understand it at all? Yeah. I think it happens to some extent when we try to limit young people from partaking in dangerous activities such as smoking cigarettes. Um, now we have this jewel, which is this uh, smokeless or electronic cigarettes that have flavors that appeal to children. And I think we've in the past censored advertisers from advertising to children and to young people. And yet that censorship, in a way, we are stopping free speech from occurring. So I think when we, when in this country, we have had incidents where we take children's health as paramount over the rights of others to entice them into dangerous behavior. So thank you for sharing that. So all I can tell you that I'm a young person at the time, and we are in total admiration of the kids who make it, and in total mourning of the kids who do not make it. Our parents are as angry as I am now, 
But as a young person in Israel of the 50s, being a teen, I totally was angry because the song was prohibited. Because we, don't had, we didn't have iPods at the time. And you know, music in our pockets wherever we went. It was the radio. And the radio did not play anymore the song that we loved. And we were furious. Okay, so here is one example of censorship that maybe you will not think was so bad. Please click once more for me. And here is a, an article, this is for my Hebrew audiences, you cannot read it, most of you, about how it was written up and a justification for the censorship, okay? In the paper, and please continue. And we are coming to our next case. I have to walk a minute just to make sure because I cannot see the presentation. Can I sit from here? Can you still record it? No, I need to go there. Ah, okay, that's so good. Thank you so much. So Daniel Magor, as you can see, I gave him a birth date, 1935. And thank God that for many more years to come, no other date. So he's still with us. We will be looking at two poems by Daniel Magor. One will be the one that you were referring to, but this comes first, and it was the one that you, ma'am, sitting there, had referred to about the Palestinians. So, yeah, we want to look at 1988 to 2013. There is a story going on here, and we, we want to explore it. 1988, does it ring a bell? Does it ring a bell? First Intifada. No, 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 Lebanon is 81 and then, okay. But who can keep track of all Israel wars? I know, I don't expect to. 1988 is the first Intifada, which is not yet so much shooting and blowing up. It sows here and there knives and whatever. Minister of Defense, Prime Minister at the time is? Mr. Peace, Yitzhak Rabin. And he goes on the television and says loud and clear, we will break their bones. Nishbor Samut. Mr. Peace, of a decade later but not now. And indeed, the Israeli military is very strong against those Palestinian youth who are throwing stones at soldiers, etc. I had a son in the military at the time. I wish we had the time for me to tell you the episode when he is asking my advice. Because he says to me, Mom, I grew up with you with all your Holocaust-related education and following or not following orders. And what is it that you expect me to do next week when it is my turn to go to Gaza? What do you expect me to do if they tell me to shoot civilians? How would you answer that as a mother, by the way? No, I don't expect you to answer. It's an unfair question. And don't ask me what I answered because I don't have the time for it and it was a complex answer. 
but I did, and I'm not ashamed to tell you, start by telling you do whatever it takes and come home in one piece. I started with that. Then we tried to discern how he is to know what orders to follow and what not. He's almost 50 now. It was many years ago. His oldest daughter is getting ready to go into the military. Daniel Magol, now you have to understand Daniel Magol. It's such an interesting figure. It's not a poet that I ever taught here, did I? He is known not so much for his own poetry, although he wrote an amazing number of lyrics that were sent to music, set to music. Most of the military troops, the Lakotsva Yot songs, Daniel Magor had written. Very popular, very mainstream. Along the first intifada, with the order to break their bones, he somehow cannot accept it. And he stops being mainstream, and he composes a poem, song if you wish. We will not listen to it because I want to eliminate the technologicals back and forth. So just go to page three. The lyrics will do. And I will, I'm preparing you, that I will answer you, would you support this song to be censored. And I'm asking you men, because this is the topic you had brought up. Somebody is saying in this song, and his name is Daniel Magor, that lo and behold, Palestinian may deserve human rights as well. And God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. And all humans are created in the image of God, all people. All people are created in the image of God, all people, all of them. And there are no better ones. All people are created in the image of God, in the image of man. Give us strength not to lose the image, the image of man. Give us strength specifically these days not to lose the image, the image of man. Not to lose the image. Not to walk in the blood-soiled furrow. Specifically these days, specifically these days. Give us the strength not to lose the image, the image of man. All human beings are created in the image of God. It's just repeating and repeating a biblical quote. B'Tselem Elohim, man was created in the image of God. He gave it to one of the military troops to sing. And it was, yeah. It sounds like marching. It's like a yeah. continuous. But actually, it, when it was set to music, it's not a march. It's more like a repetitive ritual prayer, okay? And immediately, it is censored. Defeatist, not to be aired on the radio. Furthermore, Grandor, will you click once more for me? While this song is aired for a very short time, and then forbidden, 
Almagro's father dies. And people are starting to send him threat messages because of this song that says that Palestinians have human rights. And the classical of them, the most repetitive during the Shiva is that we hope you will never get up from the Shiva. That, in the paper, you can read Hebrew, you said. We hope that you will never get up from the Shiva in Israel. Shall I be cynical? The only democracy in the new nowhere. Almagor goes to the police and tells them, I'm threatened. And they tell him not to worry, it's nothing, it's just a few crazy people. On the last day of a shiva, as he is getting ready to get up or whatever, his car blows up. So luckily he was not yet in it. So this is as hard as it was. And if you go back one click, can you see the dates, 88 to 2013? In all these years, it was never aired. And some six years ago, a group of artists got together as Almagor is aging now. He was born in 35, and they said, we will do a cassette, we will do a recording, and this song needs to be heard. I yet need to hear it on Israeli radio. I never did, but you can find it on the internet easily. And we, I have one downloaded. Yes, Ari. So the song was censored. Was he then censored in general in Israel because of this, or was it just the song? I should have expected a question like this from you. <laughs> when I was preparing this, I went looking for information, all the way of writing to Almagor. And he says, I never acquired my position back on the Israeli cultural scene after this song. Never, ever. And he is actually Professor Daniel Magor. He is the most serious researcher of modern Jewish music and songs since the early Aliyot all the way to the late 80s and 90s. That's his expertise. Do you have the song here? Yes, I do. You want to hear it? Let me help you find it. So go back there. Because it's probably, the title is probably in Hebrew. Can you see it? Betselem, exactly. Thank you. That's helpful. Again, look at the Hebrew, you should have it. No, you don't. Next page. So you hear it's not a march. B'Tselem Elohim, the image of man. Shimon Israeli died last week. Mm. 
Okay, I think this will do. Thank you for asking. I really wanted to, but didn't want the extra work uh, for our friend here. So, mind you, look at the rendition. And remember, this is not the 88 rendition. This is the 2013 rendition. I have no recording of the 88 rendition. Couldn't find one. So, when they say Dafka at this time, he wrote it about 88, the first intifada. When they're singing it now, they're saying it's still relevant. They're saying Dafka at this time, and they mean 2013 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. Okay? And Rabin is long dead by the time this is sung. This is allowed to be sung. And it's not against Rabin anymore. It's against exactly that reality that you had pointed out to. That would be censored. And unfortunately, it was censored. Okay, thank you. Can we go back to the PowerPoint now? And we will skip the next one, I'm afraid, because of time. So they hope that Almagor will never get up from the Shiva, which is very nice. And we are skipping this one. This one was about morality, and it's a song about a prostitute. And it's a song about a prostitute. And actually, it's not an original Hebrew one. It's Nathan Alterman translated it from a Bertolt Brecht German a poem and gave it some, a little bit of a Hebrew Israeli taste. And it was immediately, immediately censored. We don't sing in young Israel about a, about prostitute and even it's more. Very yeah, but. I know, but Anakesh is not from the opera, but it's in the same vein, that song. But exactly, you are absolutely right. Now what the poet, Alterman, who did the Israeli version, when they censored it, and one of the very much radical anti-government, anti-Bengurian papers at the time, Haolam wrote an article against the horror of censorship, la 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 la, and they were trying to encourage Alterman, the translator and the great poet, to say something. And he said, listen, I translated that into Hebrew in the 30s. Do you want me, after the Holocaust, to support that they will sing the glories of a German prostitute on the Israeli radio? No, I will not support it. I will accept the censorship, okay? So the poet himself who translated it agreed to the censorship. And we skip. This is the article in the Haolamazeh. And we continue. And please, one more. And now we are coming here. We can click one more. Will you? OK. So now we're coming to Chava Alberstein. And the song, the poem is Chadgadia. So this is a good time of the year to ask you, ladies and gentlemen, does any of you need for me to explain what Hadgatia is? Because if, God forbid, one of you is courageous enough to ask for that, I will know that you did not read to the very end of the Haggadah. <laughs> and you do not want for me to recognize that. You want me to believe that you read it cover to cover, two consecutive 
evenings. And if you are pissed, excuse the expression, by the second evening, let me tell you that there is a perfect way to avoid that. All you need to do is Make Aliyah, exactly. <laughs> because in Israel, we only do the one night. Okay, so consider it. There is another advantage to living in Israel. You don't have to climb Masada. We don't, only you tourists do. <laughs> we don't do that, ever, ever. We do it in high school and then we are done. But you guys keep wanting to do it for some odd reason. So you move to Israel, you don't have to climb Masada. Ever again. I know that. I don't even do that. It's too hot there. Who needs it? Anyway, it's for tourists. <laughs> so, okay. So why would a song about Hadgadia be censored? In a Jewish state, we have it in the Haggadah. So Chava Alberstein, this is the 90s already. This is the 90s and things are getting pretty bad in Israel. And close enough, you know, immediately after the Oslo agreements, etc. I don't remember the date exactly, and I'm not sure I put it there. But what I want you to see, even if you do not have Hebrew, gentlemen who asked about the law and the order, so you have here a piece of paper with a stamp over it, and the stamp says, can you follow Hebrew letters a little bit? So you see the first word has two letters, law, and the second says, leshidur, for broadcast. So here is a piece of paper that was given to the censor with the description of two songs. One, the Chava Alberstein one, the second we are not studying today. And he put a stamp on them, not for broadcast. And one of the two, is the Chadgadia. What the heck? Like, why? So let's go through the text. And yes, we will want to hear it when we go. So let's go. And I will go quickly until I reach the pertinent point, OK? Our father bought for two Zuzim, one kid, one kid. Our father bought for two, OK. And the cat came and prayed on the kid, and the little kid, the white kid, the dog came and bit, etc. I'm going quickly, because I trust you know it. Then a big stick appeared from somewhere and beat the dog, who barked loudly. She's adding touches, you know? She's adding touches to the original one. The dog that bit the cat that prayed on the kid that our father bought, our father bought, etc. And the fire came and burned the stick and bit the dog and walked around, etc. Our father bought. And the water came that quenched the fire, that burned the stick, that hit the dog, la 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 la, beat the dog. My father bought. And then the ox came, and then I'm skipping. And then the slaughterer came, the shoichet, and slaughtered the ox that had drunk the water, la 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 la. Then came the angel of death that killed the slaughterer, that had slaughtered the ox, that had drunk the water, that had quenched the fire, and so on. And then we are coming to the pertinent part. Why are you singing, Chadgadia? Spring has not come yet. Passover isn't here. 
What has changed for you? Can you hear the echo of Manishtana? What has changed for you? Manishtana in Hebrew. What had changed for you? What had changed? I myself have changed this year. And on all nights, on all nights, what have changed this night? She's reversing the Haggadah. All nights, every night, okay? I have asked only four questions. Tonight I have another question. How long will the cycle of horror last? Hunter and hunted, beater and beaten. When will this madness stop? And what has changed for you? What has changed? I myself have changed this year. I used to be a sheep and a calm kid. Today I'm a leopard and a predator, wolf. I have been a dove, I have been a deer. Today I do not know who I am. I do not recognize my Israeli society. Our father bought for two zuzim, our father bought, etc., etc. Chava Alberstein has a beautiful rendition, but the interesting part, and I hope you're game with me, and I need to check that I have it. Uh, yeah. We will cut it short. Yes, ma'am. Did you say this was written in the early 90s? Yeah. I, I will need to check. But it's around that time, not from far away from Daniel Magor. And by that time, Daniel Magor and Chaval Bastein are. Yeah, I, of course, I realize not before he was born. He was born in 22. <laughs> okay, Chaval Bastein was not yet born then. So hang on for a minute. No, no, don't do that. It's not where I want to go. No, because I have two renditions here. And I want you, I will let you listen to the Chava Alberstein at home, if you want. But here, we are doing the Chadgadia bottom left. Don't click in it yet. A few years ago, one of the grassroots peace organizations is a woman's choir of Arab, Muslim and Christian, and Jewish women. They act and perform, etc., out of Jaffa, which is where I live. They are in my neighborhood. And they have a beautiful rendition of this song. So much so, I'm going to say something that might sound controversial to some of you, but I'm not afraid of that. Comes Yom Zikaron Wednesday night, there will be memorial services all over Israel for the fallen soldiers. But there is one organization, the Forum of the Bereaved Families, that has a separate memorial because the Forum of the Bereaved Families is an organization of Jewish and Palestinian bereaved parents who have lost their children in the conflict. And they have a memorial ceremony together, which is criticized by the majority of Israelis. And it happens in Tel Aviv, not in Jerusalem. Last year, it had 8,000 people. I will be tuning in from here. I mean, here, Montreal. For the last few years in that ceremony, instead of an anthem or whatever, or prayers that are difficult in places like this, they sing the Chava Alberstein Chadgadia with the performance of the Rana choir from Jaffa. 
and this is the one I would like you to listen to. Okay? Will you now click on it? Thank you. You can follow Hebrew or English. say which of the women is Jewish and which is Palestinian? Some you can, not all. Some you can, not all. Thank you. I think this will do for the music because we want to conclude. It's a dirge. It's what? What does that mean? A death song. Yeah. Because it had become the song of those ceremonies, the joint ceremonies of Jewish and Palestinian parents. It was censored. The reason for the censorship, I looked it up, was because it's not good for the morale. It's not good for morale in the country. It's not good for morale. Couldn't you recognize similar events in American culture? I know, I know, this is why I'm asking. So we are not that far apart. All right, I understand we need to conclude and I want to give you that which you were so smart in detecting. So we are going to page nine to dry twigs, I will need you to click. Go ahead and clicking. Here's the, stop for a minute. Some of you may have heard about the major immigration wave of Yemenites in the early years of the state. And when they tell you Yemenite Olim, you may want to think about that. What did I warn you about my military experience? Don't you dare! It's not that that we are talking about. There were earlier Yemenite immigrations. One of them was as an initiative, I'm sorry to have to say that, but it is in research and it is known. That the farmers of the first Aliyah, you know, those who created the early colonies, Yorchovot and Gedera and Rishon, etc., sent out people to bring back Jews from Yemen for cheap work, 
for cheap labor. Even Dganiya, the first of the kibbutzim, had done that. They never let them dwell within the colony. They had a special place for them. And it is told that once they were miserable. In the winter, when it was raining hard, the farmers of Rehovot would let them come into the horse shed or the cow shed just for the time of the rain. Now you need to know, please click. We are back with our friend, Daniel Magor. Much younger, much younger. And there is there in 1982, the Israeli television is gonna go do a program for the Independence Day of that year that every night they will be airing a program on TV of one of the Jewish communities in Israel. And they're gonna do one about the Yemenites. And they are asking Daniel Magor to create it because, you know, he's the popular writer of lyrics and songs and so on. And he does. And somebody brings to his attention a story about two women of the Yemenite community, early immigrants in Rehovot, who in the winter needed some twigs for fire, dry twigs. And they went into the orchard of one of the Rehovot farmers to pick up some twigs without permission. And he caught them and tied them to his donkey and marched them through the town, showing everybody what shouldn't be done by these Yemenites. Daniel Magor hears about it and writes a poem, Dry Twigs. He finds a singer to perform it. They include it in the program. The night before it is aired, the chairman of the Yemenite community in Israel calls Daniel Magor and says, take it out. The censorship now comes from within. Remember when you asked and I told you each song has the story of who censored it? This time the censorship comes from within. We don't need that anymore. It's long gone. We are okay now. Let sleeping lions lie, you know, that kind of thing. And it is out. So only much, much later, again, there will be a group of artists. Can you click once more, please, for me? Okay. And so it's out of the Israeli television in, 92, in 82, and Yizhar Cohen will do a rendition of dried twigs. So it's important for me to look at the text. If you are patient enough to afterwards listen to the singing, we will do that as well. Okay, is that good? You can take out your tissues. Daniel McGord, right wigs. They all speak of the good old years, but every son should be with an O of Yemen in Rehovot remembers how the farmer Yonatan had caught two Yemenite girls who were in the vineyard picking at twilight, not grapes, just dry twigs. 
dry twigs to feed their oven. He caught them both, Farmer Jonathan, and lashed them both at length with a whip, hard blows like dry twigs, like dry twigs. Then he tied them both with a thick rope to his donkey's tail, and thus riding proudly, he entered the colony in the main street in front of all, a farmer on a donkey, his whip flying high, and the two women, fearful and ashamed, who were trying to pick a few dry twigs, a few dry twigs, tied to a rope as if led to the gallows. The whole colony is watching silently, and they all know Farmer Jonathan is of a good family. And Jonathan cries out, this is what thieves deserve. The Hebrew expression is kach yaaseh, like from the Esther Megillah. What will be done to Haman? Kach yaaseh, they're using the same expression. So to be tied by a rope to the end of a tail, people ask, whispering, what did they steal? In the vineyard, they picked dry twigs. On the hilltop, the, well, the bell is tolling. In the main street, the crowds gather. The farmer is riding, waves to a friend. The street is long. The more crowded than ever, the women march, lowering their eyes, but they know their little son is watching in the main street. There in the wide street, he sees his mother tied to a tail. He sees his mother tied at her throat, pulled, degraded to dust in the street. He sees how they all are watching silently. He sees smiles and hears cries, Mom, come see a parade. All the colony people know well that Jonathan is from a good family. There are those who are saying, well done, that's right. They should see it is forbidden to steal. The son is looking, he had learned in the Cheder about the innocent son who was almost bound and here in the street in front of the congregation, his mother is led to the binding. Instead of a knife, the whip is lashing, the wood for the sacrifice, a bunch of dry twigs. Yes, since then many years went by. The son is already a grandfather, hair graying. Many memories passed and faded, but he will never forget that evening. When finally and only once, this was performed by Ishar Cohen. You can now go to the music, please, and we will conclude with that. That son was sitting in the audience, and he came up to Daniel Magor, who was there, because there was just the one performance. And in my emailing with Daniel Magor, just as he told me that he never went back to be who he had been, he told me that was never again ever aired on Israeli television or radio. Just that once. Let me show you which one it is. So middle row, second from the right. That's one. You will see the Yemenite audience in the performance. She's telling the story of what happened, second and...
how they came brought by the people of the second Aliyah, the Ashkenazim. They responded immediately and they came. Some of them on oxes, some of them by foot. Nobody asked them to join the Seder table. Look at the audience. This is why I want you to look at this, although it's not a song, so to see who the audience was in that one single performance. Could you move it a little bit fast forward until we see a singer and not this woman? Or just pull the thing? They should do it. He tells about his meeting with Daniel Magor, his Yemenite himself, and a very well-known Israeli singer. He won the Eurovision contest the first time Israel won it. Abani B. Okay. We never heard about this story in school. It was hidden. I will tell you about this incident. In Rehovot, I felt the need to be the performer. Needless to say, because I'm a Yemenite. And it's a true story. We'll just hear a few bars. You can cry for it, for we'll sake it. They all speak about the good old days. Farmer Jonathan, who caught two women from Yemen. Not grapes or dry twigs. Dry twigs. Short, we will conclude here. Thank you. In answer to the question, can you just finish the music? Cut it off. Cut it off. Enough. It's a very long one and we do not have the time. So I want to add another element that helps you maybe understand how much creating a song like this is perceived at the time and still today by mainstream Israel. Just as you have said, to be a betrayal, to be deserve, deserving of censorship. Because on top of everything else, if the story was not horrible enough in itself, you know who Daniel Magor is? He's a child of one of those farmers he is from Rehovot. It's families like his who had done those things 
So he's a, a traitor to the tribe by creating this song. This gives you a little bit of a taste of Israeli stories not often paraded, not oftentimes sung, but I think deserving of being familiar with. Thank you very much. As I mentioned, it's always uh, nice to have Raphael with us. We learn uh, something new every time, even if we all had heard about the uh, song Chagadiyat, and we covered it in a different program. Oh, the very same one? The Chagadiyat? I'm sorry. No, no, but you brought it uh, in a totally different direction. You brought a little uh, more nuanced uh, approach to it. So um, I just wanted to thank you for that. Uh, we have time for a few quick questions. Where is the mic today? Here's the mic. So before we do the questions, um, we'll do just a few questions because I know it's a little late and it's a Friday. Just remember that um, Rachel is here tomorrow night in this room um, at 8.30 to 9.30 and then for the Amasos program Homeland and Identity and then on Sunday at 10 a.m., so it's early, how to become an Israeli, a fun one. So we have time for a few quick questions and then we will um, break. Shabbos. Yeah. Yeah. One, so, okay. Two, three. Yeah, one, three. Four. Okay. We'll see if we have time. Okay. All right. Go. In Herzl's The Jewish State, he pictures the Israel, not necessarily where it is now, but talks about the different classes of humans, of people. And the lower class of Jews will act as servants for the upper class. What do you want from it's a Austro-Hungarian empire? Right, very elitist. Gentlemen. So this follows that philosophy. Or for me to be even more blatant, it's in us. We have the possibility to do that. It's in us, I'm afraid. Yeah, you're right, ma'am. Next. Yeah, you need a mic. So the two women were Yemenite Jews? Yes. And had they not been Jews, how would non-Jewish Yemenites ever come to Israel? Why would non-Jewish Yemenites ever want to make Aliyah? Okay, yes ma'am. I, I can understand the, the larger Jewish community wanting to shut that down. Uh, because it, it's a betrayal of, of their idea that uh, we all care for each other. Yeah. Why would the Yemenite community want to shut that down? I have my ideas, but I'd like I to hear I think that yours. you have the right idea, but I will try to answer. The person who, as the chairman of the Yemenite community at the time, was Israel Kaysal. He was one of the Yemenite guys who made good through the Mapai, the Labor Party, the Ben-Gurion people, who are all second Aliyah people. He later will be the chairman of the Histadrut, the Labor Union. He is mainstream. He's afraid. He's ashamed. He doesn't want, he, he thinks that the powers that be expect from a person like him to keep his people in line. And I think this is the reason. I'm afraid this is the reason that Israel Kaysar, the chairman of the Yemenite community, 
will ask Donald McGraw to kill the song in 1982. Yeah, that's my explanation. Because he is such mainstream, and so, you know, being one of Ben-Gurion kids. I think we have an order here. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my question is, in Israel, does the censorship really work, or it uh, backfires? You very need often, from the former Soviet Union to ask. Yeah, that very often uh, censorship backfires. Exactly. Like censoring the Zared Rock. Did uh, less ch children go? No. Or probably no. even more because no. hey, forbidden fruit. No. And it, and right wigs came to the knowledge, and we did sing about the German prostitute and uh, other songs that I did. This is an hour and a half session, and I did one hour out of it. And two other songs that have been censored totally backfired and totally came back because yes. this is what happens in most cases. Yes. Daniel Magor had lost his position as a cost of that. So some will pay the price, but the song will be alive. Yes. I think, well, you decide about the order. I don't want to be. Just, mm -hmm. just very, very briefly, if I understand you correctly, there was really a, a, a wonderful sense of, of um, hope coming from the request from the Yemeni, Yemenite person to uh, let's, let's, let's forget it, well, let's, let's move forward, let's put it in our past. I mean, they were the ones feeling the pain. So they said, let's go on, let's move on. I think, isn't I think I think, but there could be people who would have wanted to leave it behind, like there were Holocaust survivors that didn't want to talk about it ever and just move on with your life. It always happens. Last question. As an Israeli or, or just as a person, do you ever see there to be a fitting time for censorship? There must be. There must be extreme cases that it's needed for the other security, not only the Red Rock, but really military secrets sometimes. But then again, even those like Israeli's nuclear power, how effective is the censorship? Like, don't we know that we have it, that nuclear plant that we don't have allegedly? So that, huh? There should not be no, okay. All right, yeah, I think there are cases that not everybody needs to know everything. But I'd like to hope and believe that the people who make the decisions are responsible people and do not make them for political gain or for embarrassment or whatever, and that they will be the first to want the truth to come out. I hope so. Thank you very much. Shabbat shalom to everybody.